Welcome to the last day of the year. This is it. I don't know exactly the, the moment in time, but I guess it's midnight. Whenever it strikes midnight, somehow in that split second, we transition from one year to the next. I don't know what man decided he would come up with that idea, but there you go. And one of the most favorite things that we do, and I think it's quite appropriate, is to make resolutions. Next year, I'm going to lose 10 pounds or whatever the resolution is. And you notice I don't set my, my goals very high there just so that I can make sure I don't miss them. But uh, we, we make these New Year's resolutions, which is a good idea. It's actually quite biblical. And I'd like to, on our last day of the year, I'd like to go ahead and deal with that topic, if you will. The idea of making a New Year's resolution and how the Lord would have us go about that. And so now that you've marked your songbook to 948, we're going to sing that here in just a, a little bit. I'd like to ask, ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus has a rather serious discussion with the crowd. He's going to say some things to them that are sobering, some things that uh, are offensive, and uh, we're not going to really deal with a lot of the, the controversial aspects of this particular paragraph. But I do want to deal with what Jesus says about building a tower, specifically about building a tower. Again, I'm in Luke chapter 14. We're going to begin reading at verse 25. Luke 14 and verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, that's Jesus, and he turned and he says to them, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty controversial statement. We're not going to really deal with that too awful much. But I want you to move into verse 27 where we pick up with this idea of the tower. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and, it is, and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Then he goes on to talk about a king encountering another king, etc. But I want to deal with that tower idea. And yet, before rushing into that, I want to make sure that we give proper credit to Jesus' context. He doesn't start with a tower. He starts with a rather blunt statement you want to be my disciple? He says, these are his words. He will come after me. He says that uh, you have got to be an individual who hates his own, and he makes that list, father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and your own life also. And you and I have come to understand that in that idea of hatred, he must be referring to a love less than. In comparison to the amount of love I have for God, my love for my parents, myself, etc., is almost like hatred. It has to mean that because we know from other places in Scripture we are commanded to love our mother and father. And so when Jesus says here that there has to be a, a hatred comparison, he's actually saying to you and I that there needs to be a perspective. There needs to be a level of priority in your spiritual development, your spiritual growth, that brings you to a point that if you had to choose between God or your parent, you would choose God. I have known many individuals in the course of my 40 plus years in ministry who have used the excuse, but Sonny, if I were to adopt that position, if I were to believe that baptism was necessary for the forgiveness of my sins, and I know that my mom and dad did not do that, 
That would mean my mom and dad are not right with God. And therefore, I cannot accept what the Bible says because to do so would disagree with mom and dad. My question is, who do you love more? Do you love what God said? Or do you love what dad did? We've got to be careful as we enter into this new year that we put our priorities right. That we love God more than, much more than, if you're to use the word that Jesus uses here, much more than our parents, our spouse, our children, ourselves. That's the level of love we should have for God. So having said that then, it's almost as if Jesus says, now you're going to need an illustration. You're not going to appreciate that principle. It's a little bit tough to swallow. And so let me give you an illustration. And that's where you pick up here in verse 28. For which of you, again, talking to the crowd, which of you folks sitting right here, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. He's going to make some nonsensical applications to the crowd. He's going to say, with regards to this idea of loving God most, this resolution that you should have, that I'm going to put God first in everything, consider some of the things that we do in life. Building a tower, building a house, building a whatever, a shed out back. You can use whatever illustration you want. I don't think it does any damage to the the context itself. The idea is not so much the structure as it is, did you plan for it? And are you going to be made fun of because you only got her half done? I got to be honest with you, going to confession mode here for just a moment. I am, I'm a product of my own father, to be honest with you. Now, dad was always a completer. And so in that sense, I might be a little bit different. But my dad always had too many irons in the fire. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Dad was always running in five different directions at once. And he was always trying to make sure that he could cover this base, that base, and the other. Dad, throughout his entire life, loved to study the Bible with people. And I remember vividly as a young man, him just running from one house to another to another all day long practically and, and getting up late at night and going off to a Bible study because he just he had to make sure that he did the will of God. And I appreciate and love that. And he's an inspiration to me to this very day. But having all those irons in the fire made it somewhat difficult for him to, you know, to keep everything straight. But one thing I always appreciated about dad is that if he started a project, he was going to finish it. Now back to the confession mode. I got a lot of irons in the fire. I start a lot of projects. I think that if Cindy were here, and by the way, she's with Gabriel again at Boysville. But uh, if, uh, if Cindy were here, I think she would say that Sonny tries real hard to complete his projects. But there have been several projects in our years of marriage that I just didn't get done. And... It's kind of hard for me to admit that. You know, a guy likes to be thought of as somebody who completes the task. You know, I'm tough and I'm big enough to make sure that these things happen. So it's a little bit awkward to stand before you and to say, I didn't get her done. And rightly so. It should be awkward for me to say it that way. Because God does not design us to be people who go halfway. God designs us to be individuals who are 110% into the project especially if it's his project. Now back to the original opening. You gotta love me more than you love anybody else. That's essentially what he's saying in the opening. 
Now, to illustrate that, it's kind of like a guy who says, I'm going to build, and he gets her half done. We've all seen houses like that. Perhaps halfway through, there was a divorce. Halfway through, there was a financial tragedy, and they, they had to declare bankruptcy. Halfway through the project, there's a you know, health problem. We've all seen it. And, and we've passed by homes like that that were half done. And they just sit there sometimes for years and, and maybe never get finished. I'm thinking of a house right now that I've passed by many times in my life that they started the project, moved this house in. They even put a really nice brick finish on it. But then something happened. I don't know what it was. But that thing to this day, I passed by it just last night. To this day, that thing sits there with a beautiful brick finish on it. But the front door is hanging open dogs and who knows what else is running in and out of that thing of an evening because it never got done. God says, don't be that person. Now let's go back to the new year's resolutions that we're making. How many times have you said, okay, this year I am not going to do that. Or this year I am going to do this. And you set this particular goal for yourself only to find it January 15th. And you've already broken your commitment. I can't tell you the number of times I've done that. I've got a resolution in my mind right now that I plan to do this coming year. And you pray for me that I'll be better, that I have put to use this lesson because I want to be more than a halfway doer. I want to finish the project. Now let's come down to what Jesus actually says here. I, I see three things. Number one, in verse 28, he's going to say you need to count the cost. And so before you make this New Year's resolution in our final day of this year, and you're thinking about the coming year, before you make a resolution, count the cost and ask yourself, is that realistic? Am I going to get her done? Is that something that I really am invested in? Or is this just something that I'm saying at this particular point in the year, it sure would be nice if I could lose 35 pounds this year. Well, i got to be honest with you. For Sonny Childs, that's probably not very realistic. It might happen, and it should happen, but I'm not sure how realistic that is. I think the first thing that Jesus is saying to us is if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, count the cost and ask yourself how realistic it is. How invested and dedicated are you to that particular goal? Dear friend, Thursday, got a video, was baptized into Jesus, and down around Memphis, neat little guy. And uh, his dad baptized him, and uh, I got to see the video of the confession. I, they, for whatever reason, I guess Cindy might have the video of the baptism itself, but his dad's quite a Bible scholar, and he insisted that his son be able to say certain things and know certain things before he's ever going to baptize him into Christ. And I got to watch that, and I, I thought to myself, how cool is it to start off the year with a resolution like that? To be in a position where you would actually make that kind of commitment. I want to be somebody who follows through. Many years ago, South Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I don't remember who the preacher was. We had a gospel meeting going on. My dad was a preacher there at the congregation, but we had a visiting preacher. And it, we come in a flash flood and a lightning boom, lightning flashing and thunder booming. And I was scared to death and the invitation song was sung. And I came up forward and I made the great confession, was baptized by my dad into Christ. And just, just the biggest moment of my life, I'll be honest with you. I remember that day, and I remember thinking to myself, I want to keep this commitment. I've not always done well, but it is the one thing that drives me in life. I'm going to keep this commitment. We've got to have that kind of count-the-cost mentality. 
Can I hang in here for the long haul with this particular resolution? Second thing that you see here is it's not just that we're going to count the cost, but also in verse 28, we're going to set a goal. Uh, probably I should have used that one first. But uh, as you set this goal, this particular one is we're going to build a tower. But you've you got to have something out there that you envision as being worth your time, worth your effort, worth the investment again. And so we've got to have that goal that is before us that drives us or draws us down the path. Now, back to our New Year's resolution. Is it realistic? Secondly, is it really a goal or is it just a statement of wishful thinking? I'd like to draw a difference between those two. I do a lot of wishful thinking. I think how neat it would be if I could do this, that, or the other. But none of them are really goals. I never come to the position where I say to myself, that is what I'm going to accomplish. I'm putting that on the marker board. That one right there, we're going to make sure that that one gets done. There's a difference between you and I entering into a new year with, boy, I wish I could do better. And I'm going to do better. And here's the way I'm going to get there. So count the cost. Make sure that you've got an appropriate goal. And then number three, make sure that you actually finish. Go down to verse 20. Let's just go ahead and 28 and 29 again and we'll get it together. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, and that's the finish part. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. The third point part is that we've got to have enough energy invested that we're going to cross the finish line. Years ago, I was much thinner and uh, I uh, younger and uh, I, I can't say I like to run, but uh, we, I went to a church camp every summer up in the mountains of Pennsylvania because that's where I grew up. And uh, it was very important to young people back then because the church was scattered so far across the state, very weak up in, in the Northeast, and uh, you didn't get to see other Christian young people very often. And so this was a magical week every summer to go and to spend a week with other Christian young people. And of course, there were attractive young ladies there, and you wanted to impress these young ladies when you went off to church camp. And at this particular church camp, they had a cross-country race. And... Um, very mountainous area and up and down and around and all these kind of things. And I, I had seen it the year previous and wondered how cool it would be, wishful thinking, to run that race. This year I had decided I was going to do it. In fact, I did a little bit of training. I didn't spend a lot of time training like I should have. But uh, when it came time to line up at the, at the starting line, I did. And they said go. And we took off running. And, and I just... I never had run a cross-country race before. So I didn't know anything about pacing yourself. So I just took off like a flash. I ran as fast as I could. And this thing was way down in there and up and down and all around that kind of thing. And I mean, it was, it, but I took off like it was a sprint. But I got about halfway through that cross-country race. And I had sprinted the first half, basically, and, and discovered I don't have anybody around me. I, I'm way out in front. Oh, <laughs> isn't this something? But at that point, I'm out of energy. I mean, I don't have anything left. And I decided at that point that if I could possibly dig down deep enough, I was going to win this thing. And so I kept on trudging. And I, the last part of this particular race went up a hill. 
I don't know why they had a finish line at the top of a hill, but they did. And so we're going up a hill, and as I'm coming up, and I'm way out in front still at this particular point, but I'm hearing hoofbeats behind me. People are coming on me. And I can tell that it's rapid. And they're coming quick. And I may not win this thing. And my heart's in my chest. I want to. And I mean, I had just made myself sick. I'm going to have, the girls are going to think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread if I can cross that finish line first. And so I just did, I pulled as deep as I, and long story short, I fell across, literally fell across the finish line. I won the race, lost my lunch, won the race, and boy, I was a hero for about 10 seconds. But I thought to myself, how awesome is that to be able to finish? Halfway through the race, I didn't think I could. In fact, I really, I can't tell you the number of times I thought to myself, I'm going to just sit down beside it and let them all run past me. God, I got nothing left. But somewhere down deep inside, wanting to cross that finish line overrode my desire to sit down along the path and just die. That's a silly illustration, true story, but a silly illustration to suggest to you that life is just that way. I look around the room and none of us are young. I don't mean to be uncomplimentary, but all of us, you know, all of us have, have been through the teenage years and we've gone all, okay. So we're, we all know what it's like to be older. You're on the hill. The finish line's up there. And there have been times, probably recently, you wanted to just sit down along the path and die. Prayed with a guy yesterday who stood in my front yard, Pentecostal preacher. He came to my house to buy something that I had on Marketplace. And as we were standing there, I decided I need to have prayer with this guy. And so we had a prayer together. But in the course of the prayer, I mentioned to God, I said, God, it's a wretched place down here. The wickedness is rank. And I really like to come home. I'm ready. I told dad just a few days ago that I'm a little bit jealous. He's ahead of me. He, he's going to get there before I do, probably. I'm ready to go. But here's the point. God's not ready for me to go. You know how I know that? Because I ain't gone yet. There's something yet for me to do. And as wretched and as wicked and as horrible and as hurtful as this world is, we're still here. And until he decides to take us home, we got no business doing anything but pushing towards that finish line. So Jesus says he gives this illustration of the guy who wants to build a tower. He tells you, you count the cost. Make sure you set an appropriate goal. And the last thing that I think is most important probably of all in the story is make sure you get across the finish line. How humiliating is it to see an individual who begins a project to leave it half finished? Well, if that's the case with building a tower, how much more must it be the case for a life that was on the path, on the way, but gave up and said, I just can't do it no more. How many of your spiritual heroes, and you probably could name several, but how many of your spiritual heroes in life gave up before they got across the finish line? I can think of several. Went off into the world, did the things they, they had preached against, they had lived against, they had taught against, because they just didn't have it in them 
to cross the finish line. We got to finish. Now let's go to our song. 948, four verses. I'm not going to linger here because I realize I've already preached my sermon, but as I this week was working up this lesson, I, I kept being drawn to this particular song. And sometimes we just sing songs and we don't really go through it and appreciate what is actually there. And I like sometimes to just read through so you can kind of get the feel of what's, what's the author of this song actually getting at? It's, a, it's maybe one of the most familiar invitation songs we've got. I can't tell you the number of times I've preached a sermon and had this one led at the, at the conclusion, but he says, I am resolved no longer to linger, which implies that there has been a lingering. I can admit that. There have been times I have not been in, in it like I need to be, 100% invested. I've been charmed by the world's delight, looking around for all the comforts of this world. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. They've drawn me to that stuff. Verse 2, I'm resolved to go to the Savior. This is my resolution. I'm going to go to the Savior. Leaving my sin and strife, he is the true one, he is the just one, he hath the words of life. So we got this resolution, but honestly at this particular point in verse 2, it's just wishful thinking. If you think about it, I, I, there, you know them. There have been a lot of folks in life who've said to you probably, yeah, I'm going to get my life right. And never did. It's just wishful thinking. Verse 3, I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth. He's the living way. Now there's some investment there. In verse 3, we finally get to the level where we're not just saying, I'm going to get it. I'm going to go. I'm going to surrender. I One of these days, verse 3, he says, I'm doing it. I'm with him. I'm going to follow him. I'm in the fight, if you will. Then verse 4, I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me. Foes may beset me. Still will I enter in. That is the finish. Now, it's not the finish of the entire story, but it is the finish of the process of getting into Christ. I am going to get into Christ. I am going to be a part of the kingdom. I'm going to be part of his church. I'm resolved to do this thing. The chorus, of course, is quite profound. <clears throat> I will hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. There's all kinds of resolutions we need to be making here on the last day of the year. And not all of them there are as serious as the idea of coming to Christ. But as we consider the resolutions... And remember that most all of these resolutions kind of build on each other to actually lead to something that is eternal in nature. Let's make sure that we, we do what the Lord said. Count the cost. Set an appropriate goal. Get across the finish line. This year, as you make that determination, that set that goal, this year let's do it. This year let's be different than we have in the past. And let's make sure we accomplish I am resolved.